0: Oh, oh,
1: Freedom House, Central Campus... Great to be here with you guys today. My name is Olin Carter, and I get to serve here on our teaching team. And if you're new here, something unique about our church is we have multiple campuses all across the city. We have an online audience that's joining us right now as well, an online campus. But we have a live communicator at each and every campus, each service, each and every weekend, which I think is amazing. So I always like to take a moment and give some honor to our senior pastors, Troy and Penny Max. Will you give them a hand clap? Uh, I just love to honor them for that vision. I think it's just so special, and uh, I just love being a part of it. And uh, I want to take just a moment and greet those that are joining us online. We've actually got people right now tuning in from Texas, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, New Jersey, New York, Virginia, Maryland, Louisiana. Come on, y'all give it up for them. Welcome, we're so glad you're with us today. And uh, we're starting out a new series, as you just saw, on miracles when heaven touches earth what could be more exciting than that amen man coming out of Easter and now just going to talk about miracles and and I've got a message for you today I want to kind of lay the foundation for this month and this this topic of miracles and actually the title of my message today is a foundation of miracles a foundation of miracles in C.S. Lewis's book simply titled miracles if you've ever read it Um, He starts out by explaining the importance of our philosophical approach, the way we think when it comes to what we believe or disbelieve about miracles. And he uses an example of a woman who he had met that didn't believe in the supernatural, didn't believe in God, didn't believe in spirits, didn't believe in heaven or hell, didn't believe in a spiritual realm until one day she saw something and she saw what she believed was a spirit or a ghost So she went around, she was telling all of her friends about this. I saw this, it was so real, I saw it. But what was crazy was after telling everyone she knew that she thought she saw something, that she thought it was a ghost or a spirit or something like that, after they asked her, well, now do you believe in God? Now do you believe in the spiritual realm? She said, no. No, still don't believe. Because if in your mind you're predisposed to disbelieve something, it's not going to matter what you see. It's not going to matter what you experience if in your mind you've already determined that it's not true. See, belief is not based on what we experience. We decide through our reasoning and our overall worldview what we will or will not believe. That old saying, I'll believe it if I see it, not true. Because I've known lots of people to see lots of stuff and still not believe. The Bible tells us that when Jesus ascended to heaven that the people gathered around saw Jesus Christ literally ascend into heaven. And in one book of the Bible, it literally says, and some doubted. How in the world can you doubt after you just saw Jesus be crucified, raised from the dead, and now he's literally floating up to heaven in the clouds. And it says, and some doubted. It just lets us know that we can doubt anything and everything if our worldview or the way we think is not correct. I remember years ago I was on this mission trip and I was down in, uh, oh man, what country was it? El Salvador, I was in El Salvador. We were in this park area, and uh, we were preaching the gospel, doing dramas and stuff, and we would get these big crowds, and we would preach. And then sometimes we had, like, some free times afterwards where we were just talking to people. And I saw this guy, this young guy, and he just kind of caught my eye. So I went running over to him, and I just began to talk to this guy. And I began to just share the gospel with him. And I was just telling him about Jesus, asking him if he knew the Lord. He was like, no, I don't really believe. I don't really, I'm not really interested, you know. And so I was just sharing the gospel with him, and the Lord spoke to me in my heart, that this young man was an orphan, that he had never met his father, mother, brother, sister, nothing. And the Lord just kind of dropped this in my heart, my spirit. And so I just told him, I said, hey, the Lord just showed me that you're an orphan, that you've never met your mother, your father, your brother, sister, not one family member your entire life. And his eyes got this big. He was like, how did you know that? And I said, I didn't the Spirit of God just spoke it to my heart, and I just wanted to share it with you. And God just loves you that much. He would send me here from, from North Carolina in the United States to El Salvador and just to preach the gospel to you, to tell you Jesus loves you, and then he would speak something like that about your life. And, man, I thought, like, got him. Like, this dude is getting saved right now, right? I mean, come on now. This guy is praying like we're doing this thing, right? So I I continue witnessing to him just sharing uh, my faith with him and after a few minutes I said, man, so do you want to pray? Do you want to receive Jesus as your Savior? And he looked me right in my eyes and he said, nah. And he walked off. (laughs) Never seen anything like it. And it just goes to show you that the way you think in your mind, the way the foundation of your thinking can influence your belief in God, your belief in miracles. It's not just what We see in our modern world, our culture, we think we figured everything out. We think we're so smart, and because of our study of science, our pursuit of the natural world, our technology, we think we're very intelligent, that we've got it all figured out, but we've actually lost our ability as modern man to perceive the supernatural realm, the spiritual realm. And so let's start today in Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, um, if you have your Bible app, go ahead and get it out and turn there now. You always want to follow along when someone's preaching from God's word. You want to read along with us. I, I could be telling you wrong. I could be, I could be reading out of the, the book of opinions. You wouldn't know. <laughs> you, better, you better read follow along with me. Make sure I'm not steering you wrong here. So Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, you don't have to be. You don't have to go through seminary to know there's lots of unrighteousness in the world. Right? A lot of sin, a lot of bad stuff in the world. Who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth? And see, here's a major spiritual concept that many people never understand, especially in our modern world. We look at faith as if it's a mental ascent, that. If you make a good enough case or if you show me evidence, and don't get me wrong, plent, truckloads of evidence for Jesus, God, the supernatural. Tons of evidence, and I'm going to talk about some of it today. But the, the misnomer is that if you can prove it to me, if you can show it to me, and I'm an atheist, well, then I'll believe. That it's something in my head that I, if I understand it, if it makes sense to me, Then I'll understand. And so people who don't believe in God just say, well, I just don't see it. I just don't understand it. I just don't see the evidence. But what the Bible is telling us here, and as Christians, let me just help you with something. If you have unsaved friends, if you have friends that are atheists, if you have friends that don't believe in miracles, if you have friends who don't believe in God, it's not your job to convince them that God is real. See, my job is not to get up here and to try to persuade you or, or do voodoo on your brain and make you think like I think. My job and your job as a Christian is to proclaim the word of God boldly. It takes faith. I have to get up here and just preach the word of God and let the word of God work. And let me tell you, when you preach and proclaim the word of God, when you have that coworker and you just speak the word of God into their life, let me tell you something, that seed never returns void. I used to work with this lady that um, she would sit at the front desk and she knew I was a Christian and she would go out of her way to try to make me feel uncomfortable. She would try to say, um, just vulgar jokes and, and, and profanity and just anything to try to get a rise out of me because she knew I was a Christian and she just wanted to see if she could push my buttons. She just wanted to see and she would just be rude about it sometimes. She would just tell vulgar jokes. She would just slip the interrupt conversations and hey, and then say something just to see if she can make me get red-faced or embarrassed or what, I don't know, whatever. Because she was all Mr. Goody too. He's a Christian, you know. And would always do that, but I remember this day she had some kind of physical attack. She couldn't breathe. She started to like turn blue. They were like calling ambulance. The first thing she did is she said, go get Olin to pray for me. The first thing. Why? Because I had been sharing God's love with her, not trying to intellectually debate with her that God is real. And so what this scripture is telling you is this, that people who say they don't believe, I don't believe, there's no such thing as God. There's no such thing as a supernatural realm. Listen, it's not that their brain hasn't figured that out or there's not enough evidence to convince them. It's that sin in our life causes us to suppress the truth that the spiritual realm and God would just instinctively put inside of us. We suppress it. Verse 19, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So even in nature, if you've never seen a miracle, there's enough in nature to convince you that there is a God that there is a spiritual realm. And it goes on to say, so they are without excuse. They are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Now listen if this does not describe our country and the world we live in today. It says, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Man, if that's not the world we live in today, I don't know what is. We've exchanged the glory of God for naturalism, for for worshiping things and stuff and knowledge in the pursuit of all these things and what's crazy is how obvious that it doesn't fulfill you. Look at the richest and the most famous and the most popular and the people in the world who have everything and they're miserable. And you can watch the news and see their lives crumbling and falling apart every single day and yet We've become fools. We think we're wise. We think we know so much. Faith is not a scientific pursuit. Science studies the natural realms, but see, miracles happen when the spiritual realm and the natural realm collide. And so science can't prove God or prove miracles or disprove God or disprove miracles. God is telling us through his word that if we're intellectually honest, we will see and understand the truth about him even through the natural world. The problem, again, is that we're sinful people, so we suppress this truth. And here's the bigger problem. Even us as Christians... Even us as believers, sometimes we suppress this truth when our lifestyle, when we've allowed sin to darken our heart. And so then we can begin to doubt. We can can begin to live in this natural world and we're not living in the spiritual realm. And so I have a question I want to start out with and I've got two main thoughts I want to share with you today. But this is the question I want you to chew on. And this is one as I've begun to think about it the last few days has really challenged me in my heart. Are you living, if you're a Christian, are you living a supernatural life? Are you living a supernatural life? How much of your life is natural versus supernatural? Because it's real easy as a believer when everything's going okay. Sometimes our life is on autopilot and things are good. I'm not sick i don't have a disease my kids are healthy my job is fine and i don't really need the supernatural right now and so i just live in the natural because at this moment maybe i don't need the supernatural the problem is it's hard to flip that switch when you do if you train yourself to live out your life by the reasoning of your own mind and the wisdom of your own mind When it comes time, they need to tap into the spiritual realm. It might not be so easy to do that. And so I have two main thoughts I want to share with you today. The first one is this, and I want to build a foundation today because this whole series we're going to be talking about miracles, about spiritual gifts, about all those things. You're going to have some amazing messages. You're going to get really into the nitty-gritty of this stuff. But I want to lay a foundation for you today. And so the first thought I want to share with you today is that the the Christian life is built on miracles. It's built on miracles. Trying to live as a Christian without miracles is trying to live like a fish without water. doesn't work. Our faith was founded on a miracle. We were born again. If you're a Christian, you were born again by a miracle. If you're a believer, God is doing this thing the Bible calls sanctification. He's changing you. He's transforming you. So you're being changed through a miracle. So the Christian life is built on a miracle, and there's nothing about the Christian life that's not anchored in the spiritual realm. But there's many churches and believers today that think that the supernatural realm has passed away. And sometimes if you're not careful when we're reading the scriptures and we're up here and we're preaching about these stories of when Jesus healed the sick and Jesus opened blind eyes and Jesus opened deaf ears, we can begin to look at that like, well, yeah, that happened back then. But that's not for today. And see, this is not a new or modern debate. This has been going on since Jesus went back to heaven. So let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to lay a little foundation here, then we're going to get into some practical stuff. 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to start reading in verse 14. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 14. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless it's useless and your faith is useless and we apostles would all be lying about God for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave see in the early church there began to be this debate that there was no resurrection that once you died you just died and then there was it and there was going to be no resurrection of the dead and Paul's coming back and saying whoa hold on a minute if there's no resurrection of the dead, what are we doing? None of this makes sense without the, fir- the main miracle of Jesus, the Son of God, being raised from the dead. It says, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. If miracles don't happen don't be a Christian. There's no point in it. If the supernatural realm is not real, don't be a Christian. You should leave here right now and go get drunk and party and do whatever you want to do and have fun because life is short and tomorrow you're going to die. That's the truth. If the supernatural is not real, you should go live it up. But many people fall into this false belief that, well, I don't know, but you know it's really a better life. It's not a better life. You should go have all the fun you can have because you don't know when you're going to die if this stuff's not true, if the supernatural's not real. It says, and if Christ is not raised, then your faith is useless. You're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. Verse 19, it says, and if our hope in Christ, listen, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. What, the, what he's saying to you is if you're living a Christian life that doesn't depend on the supernatural, you're not living a Christian life. Paul said, listen... That that old thing about, you know, well, I'm really just it's living a good life. No, the the life they were living, they were suffering for the Lord. They were giving up everything for Jesus. Why? Because they had a hope that they were going to be raised and they were gonna live in eternity with heaven, in in heaven with God forever. And Paul's saying, if that's not true, then man, we're to be pitied above all men because we've given up our life. We're being beaten, shipwrecked, killed. Why? For the sake of Christ? And it's not even true. But listen to how he ends it, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Paul says, I'm not miserable and I'm not to be pitied. Why? Because it is true. Jesus did get up out of that grave. And because of that, that is the foundation of our faith. The Christian life only works if miracles happen. It is built on the miracle of resurrection when we put our faith in the miracle that Jesus was resurrected from the dead listen we experience resurrection inside of our own heart a miracle happens I love this quote by Leonard Ravenhill it says Jesus did not come into the world to make bad men good he came into the world to make dead men live he did not come into the world to make bad men good. Christian is, uh, being a Christian is not a self-help program. It's not about you learning to live a better life. It's about you learning how to die. That is what Christianity is all about. Learning to die to yourself so that God can live through you. It is not a better life. It is a new life. It is not a better experience. It is not just I, God is going to improve me. No, it's I'm going to die so Christ can live in and through my life. I've got to die so that he can resurrect me in my heart so that I can be a new person This is important because Christianity is a faith and it's a lifestyle that depends on the supernatural. We are to walk in the supernatural. We are to live in the supernatural. We are to think supernatural. We're not limited by the natural limitations of this world because we serve a God of the spiritual realm. Turn to Acts chapter 3 verse 1 and We're going to get into how this plays out in our life. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those who were entering the temple. So he's brought up here every day. He's going to just sit there. He's going to beg. He's going to ask alms because that's how he lives his life. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. He said, give me some money. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. I love that confidence. He said, hey, look at us. Look at me. He says, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Oh, he was going to. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now, how did this miracle happen? Was this some kind of special manifestation just for Peter and John? Did did they have some kind of, like, special power? Because they were disciples, they had walked with Jesus. They were the ones that were founding the New Testament church. Maybe this was just a Peter thing. Maybe this was just a John thing. Let, let's read a little bit more. Let's see how this happened. Acts chapter 3, we're gonna pick it up in verse 12. It says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though through our own power or piety we have made him walk? They say, Wait a minute, this is not because we're holy. It's not because I'm somebody special. Peter's saying, it's not because I have a theological degree from the best seminary. It's not because I'm the pastor of the biggest church. It's not because I have some kind of special credentials that you don't have. It's not by my piety. It's not by my position. It's not by who I am. It says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied to in the presence of Pilate when he, was decided, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And in his name, not my name, not the name of Peter, Not the name of John. It says, in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know in the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. You see, the apostles understood the true source of their power. Their power didn't come from them. Their power didn't come because they're somebody. And many times in the church today, we think that God did miracles back then because they knew something we didn't or because they were somebody special and we're not. Sometimes people in the church today believe that miracles happen today, but they only happen for the pastor. They only happen for the spiritual. They only happen for the leaders. Man, I need so-and-so to pray for me. But Peter says right here, listen, it's not by, by my, my power, my piety, my position, who I am. It's not in the name of Peter that this was done. It was done in the name of Jesus It was done in the name of Jesus. The apostles experienced more miracles than we do, not because they were special. It was because they understood the true source of spiritual power. They understood that it came through Jesus and through proclaiming the name of Jesus. The second thing is that the apostles were clear on their role and they had confidence in God. They knew walking into any situation that I am a sent one from on high and God has got my back. I can walk into any room, into any situation, and God's gonna do what God's gonna do. And it doesn't depend on me, it depends on the one who sent me. I've been in many dangerous situations as a missionary years ago, and I remember I used to always feel this supernatural boldness come over me. One time, my friend had to pull me out of this temple. They were doing these weird sacrifices and weird stuff, and man, I just, it got all over me. And I walked up into that place, and I started yelling at the priest. And I said, and there was this crippled guy, and I was like, let your idol raise him up out of the wheelchair then. And Todd grabbed me and pulled me. He said, man, they're going to kill you. <laughs> Everybody started looking at me. And, but I remember just having this boldness because it had nothing to do with me or who I was. It was because I'm sent by God. God sent me. And too often when we're doing ministry in church, well, I'm just an usher. I'm, I'm just an usher. I'm just putting somebody in a chair. You're just an usher? Last time I checked, you're a servant of the Most High God in the house of the living God. What do you mean you're just an usher? You're just a cameraman? In the New Testament, cameramen could walk on water, and heal the sick, raise the dead. What do you mean you're just a cameraman? You're just security. You're just, you're just walking, working in salt. You're just selling a book. What, just? You're a servant of the Most High God. And the reason we don't see miracles is we mistake the source of the power. We think the source of the powers and the guy up here, like this podium's got some kind of spiritual connection. Let's check it out. Let's, is there anything under there? I don't think there's. There's no wire. There's no. There's nothing connected. It's not me. It's not this po- It's not this church. It's not this place. It's the Him that we serve. It's the Him. The apostles were clear on their role and they had confidence in God. See, when you know your role and you know who sent you, you have confidence in your role. Well, I can't speak to them like that. Well, God created you for the purpose of speaking to them like that. Sharing your faith and demonstrating the love and the power of God with your friends, your family, your coworkers, That's why you were born. That's what God created you to do. They saw miracles because they had faith, Peter said, in his name. And listen, has his name diminished? Has the authority of the name of Jesus diminished? I know it's been 2,000 years. Maybe Jesus' name's gotten rusty. Maybe it's been rained on. Maybe the, 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 the lights are flickering. Is that what we think? Has the name of Jesus gotten old? Has it lost its power? I'm here to tell you today in the spiritual realm, the name of Jesus carries just as much weight today as it did 2,000 years ago. And the reason they saw miracles is because they had faith in the name. They understood the authority of the name. I remember we were coming back from Mexico. We'd been doing a bunch of missions and and evangelism all day, and we got back to the border. And uh, we had to cross over the border, in the van we were in, the, the vehicle, some kind of bus or something, but it, it died. Like right, I remember because we went over like one of those speed hump things and then it went. <laughs> we were just, we were done. And uh, it was about 100 years old anyway, and we were just like, man, we're stuck. And so back then, I was the fit one, believe it or not. <laughs> I was the young, skinny, you know. And so they said, hey, why don't you run down to the mission? And get help because we were staying across the border of this place called Faith Mission. And so we would cross over and then you'd go down this road. And it was about, I don't know, half a mile or something like that, a mile down the road. And so I took off and I'm just running down there. And I had been hearing this series of messages I'd been listening to on the power and the authority of the name of Jesus. And uh, all of a sudden I'm running down this road and this enormous dog comes out of this junkyard and starts coming right at me, and he's running at me full bore, and I mean he, I mean just like, I mean like, I'm just, and I'm terrified. And a story I might have never shared with you guys before: I was attacked by a dog when I was a small child, bit me on my face. I've got, I had stitches and all this stuff. I got scars from it. And so I'm seeing this dog, this giant dog, come at me. I freeze. I'm like, uh oh, and li- I remember thinking, we're going to the hospital. Because, I mean, I didn't know if I was going to die, but this is a huge dog. And I'm like, there's no way, you know, I'm going to get out of this without some damage here. He's coming at me, but all of a sudden, I remembered that series I had been listening to on the authority of the name of Jesus. And the dog's running at me. I mean, he he has not slowed, not an inch. I mean, he is full out coming at me. And I remember I stopped, I thought about that teaching series, and without hesitation, it just came over me. And I just said... In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, you stop right there. And that dog, I'm telling you, the moment I said it, that dog stopped and went, hmm? And I remember just walking by that dog, like, okay, I'm glad I listened to that teaching series. <laughs> Listen, even the natural world bows its knee to the name of Jesus. There's nothing under heaven that doesn't have to bow its knee to the name of Jesus. The second thought I want to share with you today is that the Bible does not reserve miracles for special times or for special people. The Bible does not reserve miracles for special times or for special people. As Christian, in many Christian circles, there's a lot of disagreement about this stuff. And a lot of big churches, and if you're out there and you're watching Right now media, and you're on the radio, there's lots of good Christians, or believers, or brothers in Christ, but if you listen to enough Christian teaching, you're going to run into this where Christians, churches, and pastors are going to teach you that what they call the sign gifts, healings, miracles, prophecy, tongues, that these things have passed away. You're going to run into it, okay? If you haven't already, you probably already have. And people who believe that these gifts are for today are often referred to as continuationists because we believe that they continued, okay? So if you ever hear that word continuationist, that just means you believe the gifts, the miracles, all that continues, okay? But people who believe these gifts are no longer active are often called cessationists because they believe they ceased. They believe they stopped. Somewhere around Jesus or the apostles, they believe They just stopped happening. There are no more miracles. There's no more sign gifts. There's no more prophecy. There's no more tongues. There's no more of this stuff. They just stopped. So let's look at a couple of their arguments today. I want to give you some ammunition for thought and also if you're talking with someone like that. Um, A couple of the big arguments that they use to tell you that, ah, that stuff passed away. You don't need miracles anymore. All right? Number one, number one argument is we no longer need miracles or spiritual gifts because we have the Bible. Because we have the Bible, that's a common, the most common argument you'll hear. Let's look real quick. This is probably the biggest scripture that they use. Let's look at it together. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to start reading in verse 8. It says, love never ends. Amen. As for prophecies, they will pass away. And this is where they get this from. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So people who think miracles stopped 2,000 years ago, they will tell you that the perfect in this scripture is the Bible. And so when the Bible came, the Bible's a perfect revelation of God and we no longer need God to speak to us today. We no longer need God to do miracles. We no longer need God to give us these signs, these gifts, these spiritual things. We no longer need that. And they believe that the purpose of miracles was simply to confirm the gospel. And we don't need that anymore because we have the Bible and it's a perfect revelation. Well, first of all, this verse has got nothing to do with when spiritual gifts or miracles started or stopped. It's got nothing to do with that, and it certainly isn't talking about the Bible. Paul is talking to a church, much like ours, full of misfits. Thank God for misfits. Amen? I'm one of them. Paul's talking to a church of misfits who are focused on spiritual manifestations but have lousy behavior. All right? So imagine this. We come in here on a Sunday morning, And everybody comes up, and we're prophesying, and people are getting healed, and God's doing miracles. But then as we leave out, we all get in a fist fight in the parking lot. (laughs) That's who Paul's talking to. And so he's talking to these people, and he's giving them some guidance. And what's amazing to me is someone early in life, I started out as a cessationist. I didn't believe the gifts. I was taught as as a young lad in the Baptist church that that isn't for today. That those tongues, that's not for today. Miracle, not for today. Healing, not for today. All that passed away. But then as someone who began to read the word of God for myself and began to experience these things, it's amazing to me how people can take these scriptures and twist them into something that it wasn't even meant to be. What Paul is doing is Paul's talking to a church that's full of spiritual manifestations. And what he's trying to do is tell them, hey, you also have to walk in love. He's trying to prioritize love. This passage is about the priority of love in the Christian life. And here's the thing. The gifts of the Spirit work by love. They work by love. And so so often why spiritual gifts, when they are manifested in churches, get all crazy and people get weird. It's not because the Holy Spirit's weird. People are weird. We're weird all on our own. We don't need the Holy Spirit. People are just weird. And what Paul is saying is, listen, the way these gifts operate is by love, loving each other. He's telling them that love will outlast these spiritual manifestations. And guess what? It will. When we get in heaven, probably won't need healing anymore. But we'll still need love. And that's what Paul is telling them here. When you read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, you read those chapters for yourself. And I encourage you this week, if you are interested in seeing the supernatural in operation in your life, Get your Bible, read 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 14. Read it for yourself. For so many years, I listened to pastors tell me that that wasn't for today. And then I got my Bible, and I began to read it for myself. And that's not in there. What's in there is a God who's telling you, man, I have called you and I have gifts for each and every one of you and the Holy Spirit is going to give each of you gifts and you're going to operate in those gifts by love. That's what's in there. I've talked with believers today who don't see the gifts as needed and maybe that's you. Maybe you've lived a Christian life for 20 years and you thought, well, I've never had a miracle. I've never prayed in tongues. I've never seen a healing. I've never but but I love Jesus and my life is fine. I only have one question for you. I always ask this question when I teach our grow class about spiritual the Holy Spirit. If God has a gift for you and he says it's good, do you want it? Anybody say no to that? Okay. We could be done right there. If God has a gift for you, which he does, and he says it's good, do you want it? My answer's always been heck yeah. Give it to me. Give me two. I want all I can get from God, right? I'm not going to hold back. And so if God has a gift for you, want it. I also know many believers, and this is a, a huge problem, is that many believers who believe in and walk in these gifts but stop earnestly desiring them. There's a lot of Christians who, yeah, I believe in this. I believe in healing. I believe in the supernatural. But are you living in it every day? Are you walking in it? Are you desiring it? Are you praying for it? Are you believing God for it? The second thing that these people will teach is that miracles and signs ended with the apostles, that that's when it, it all ended. 2 Corinthians 12, 12 is a scripture that they often use. It's the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. And some churches will argue that this passage is telling us that signs and wonders were only performed by Jesus and the first apostles. But there are two major problems with this. One, if you read the verse in context, Paul is comparing himself to these other false teachers. His point was to validate his ministry in this particular church. The second problem with it is that miracles were happening during this time by people who weren't apostles. So remember when I told you that you're not just an usher? Yeah? Yeah? Remember when I told you you're not just working in the coffee shop? Listen, Stephen, you can write these down. I'm not going to have time to read them, but you can write these down. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen, he was a deacon. Basically what he was doing is he was helping administer food to the poor. He was basically waiting tables. He would be equivalent to somebody working out here in our coffee shop, taking coffee and sitting food down in front of people. It says that he was full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. He wasn't an apostle. What about Philip? Acts chapter 8, verse 4 through 7. It says, crowds paid attention to what was being said by Philip, not an apostle. They saw the signs that he did. He cast out unclean spirits, and many who were lame or paralyzed were healed. Not an apostle. Ananias, Acts chapter 9, and this is my favorite example. Ananias was the man that when when God blinded Paul and knocked him off his horse, He didn't send Paul to an apostle. He sent Paul to this guy named Ananias who was nobody in the church. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't an apostle. No one knew who Ananias was. God said, go, and I'm going to send this guy Ananias to you. Ananias, God used to come in, pray for Paul. His blindness fell off, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So right there you have three examples of people who were not apostles, were not pastors, were not anything official in the church, but God was using them to do signs, wonders, and miracles. If God can use them, why can he not use you? If God can use them, why can he not use you? I want to end with this. What, what does this mean for us today? Two things. What does this mean for us today? Number one, the power of God is accessed through the authority found in the name of Jesus. Nothing else. The authority and the power of God if you want to access the supernatural realm you're going to do it the same way that Peter and John did it when they healed that man at the temple gate you access the power of God through believing through faith in the name of Jesus and let me tell you that name has not lost its power if you want to see the supernatural realm just begin to proclaim and speak the name of Jesus into your situation when you speak the name of Jesus there is spiritual power that is unleashed the second thing is it signs and miracles, and this is important, they confirm God's Word, not God's people. And so miracles are not here to confirm me. If I call somebody up here and God does a miracle and you're healed, listen, it's not to confirm me that I'm God's servant. It's to confirm His Word. And the reason we don't see miracles as much today as they did back then in some churches and some circles is because we're not proclaiming the Word When you begin to proclaim the Word, God will always validate and confirm His Word with signs, wonders, and miracles. I've seen God do miracles through people who didn't even believe in Him. I've seen God do amazing things, but here's the thing. It's not about my experience. I could tell you 50 miracle stories up here today, and they're all true, and they're amazing, and I've experienced them. I know many of you have, but here's the truth. Our faith has to be based on God's Word. And God's word teaches us that miracles have not passed away. Miracles aren't for a certain person. They're not for the apostle. They're not for the pastor. They are for you. Miracles are for you. Will you stand on your feet with me this morning? I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, Miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. Sometimes... God does miracles because he wants to demonstrate his love. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. Maybe you've never experienced the first miracle in your life. The first miracle, the best miracle that God wants us to experience in our personal life is when he changes our heart. And let me tell you, that's more of a miracle than raising the dead, healing blinded eyes. I've seen God change people that... Anyone that knew them would have said they are unchangeable. But God can do it. And maybe today you've been struggling with faith. Maybe you said, gosh, I can't figure all this out. Stop trying to. You've heard the word. It's, it's either captured your heart or it hadn't. And if the Spirit of God's drawing you right now, you know it. You can feel it. The only question is, will you respond to it? It takes faith. It takes faith. You have to choose to believe but the spiritual realm is real there's a real God that loves you and he's drawing you right now so if that's you and you say man I do feel a tug at my heart I feel something inside of me and I know that everything I've been living this ain't it there's got to be more than this and I want to experience it that's you and you want to give your heart to Jesus if you're watching online you can take part in this too just click the button there on your screen to raise your hand If you're in this room right now and you'd like to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, would you just raise your hand right now? We just want to say a prayer with you. Amen. I see those hands. Anyone else? Just raise your hand now. We're going to pray this prayer together. I want to ask you right now online to pray this. Join in with us as we pray. Everyone repeat after me. Say, Father God, I thank you for your miracles. My faith is built on miracles, the miracle of Jesus. I know you died. I know you rose again. And through that, I can have life. I want every gift you have for me. Fill me right now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your power. Change my heart, God, so that I can live for you. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.